things had been not going well at the church, bickering, both the open kind and the behind-the-scenes kind, was taking its toll. Brothers and sisters in Christ were harboring grudges and hostilities toward each other. The tension within the air of that church could be cut with a knife. Words had been said that shouldn't have been. Feelings were hurt and cold shoulders were being given. Anger had shrunk prayer meeting and most everyone's individual prayers as well. On top of all the internal infighting, there was also extreme pressure from the outside of the church. Pagan people with power who surrounded the church had it in for the believers simply because they were believers. And these pagan power brokers turned up the heat. They made life extremely difficult for all in the church. Praise the Lord, I'm not speaking about Calvary Bible Church, but I have been describing the original readers of the book of James. For them, church was stressful, and Christian living was full of problems. Sometimes sit down and read the five entire chapters of the book of James in one sitting. By so doing, you will see that James was writing to haggard, hurting, and headstrong Christians. No wonder James cites the examples that he does in chapter 5. James first cites these three examples to his original readers. Example one, the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. He does that in 5 verse 10. Second example, Job. He does that in 5 verse 11. And the third example, Elijah in chapter 5 verse 17. Now, when you step back from those examples and ask yourself, what is the common denominator between all three? You will see that the, all of them dealt with people whose problems were linked to sin. The Old Testament prophets had ministries that were largely predicting or pointing out sin-induced calamities. Job had so-called comforters who shared a theory that it was Job's sin that brought Job all of his problems. And Elijah prayed down a drought and prayed then a cancellation of a drought, a drought that was calling for the heathens around him to repent of their sin of idolatry. And so when we come to James chapter 5, 13 to 18, we must see what we have just pointed out together. It would be wrong, therefore, for us to isolate James 5, 13 to 18 from its situations mentioned just a moment ago before the particular paragraph that these verses comprise. It would also be wrong to see James 5, 13 to 18 only as the way to face terminal illness. Remember, the three examples in the particular passage are the Old Testament prophets, Job and Elijah. And these three examples have the consequences of unrighteous behavior and not terminal illness as their common denominator. So now let's actually look at the passage. I want to start with verse 13, just the first half of the verse, James 5, 13a. Is anyone among you suffering? James asks his first readers if they were suffering. The same Greek word appears earlier in the chapter in verse 10, as an example, brethren, of suffering, same word, and patience take the prophets who spoke 
in the name of the Lord. So in this troubled church, the conflicted church, a church that was pressured from the outside, a church that was having difficulties on the inside, he starts by asking, is anybody suffering? Now I know enough to know that there are people here suffering, really suffering. You will notice, I hope, that in verse 13, the sufferers are told to pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. When we are suffering, God calls us to pray. He doesn't call us to complain to other persons. He calls us to cry out to him. When we are suffering, God does not tell us to whine. Instead, he tells us to walk and talk with him. So when we're suffering, we are to pray. We're to talk to God first about our sufferings. Verse 13 has more to say in the second half of the verse. I'll read the whole half to get the flow, the whole verse rather. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. I really like that, that in this church that was under pressure, this church that was having difficulties within its own ranks, that it was possible to be cheerful. There were some cheerful people there. That encourages me that I don't have to have perfect happenings going on in my life to be cheerful. I don't have to have it all my ducks lined up in a row without anything I'm wondering and praying about for me to be happy. I like that. There's hope for the Christian who talks to God about their suffering in conditions that other people would say are less than ideal. In fact, we can be so happy and so cheerful, even when pressured and suffering, that we can sing praises. Do that in your car? Forget the talk radio. There's nothing edifying about talk radio. Nothing. Put the CD in and listen to praise music and sing to the top of your lungs. It'll give the person at the traffic light something to talk about when you do it. Nothing edifying about talk radio. I've listened. I've listened. Sing. Go back to 13. If anyone is among you is suffering, let them pray. If anyone's cheerful, let them sing praises. And if you're not cheerful, sing praises until you get cheerful. Even in that backbiting original church, even with bullying of pagans bugging them too, some of the Christians that James wrote to first were happy and cheerful. Let me go to verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So here's the flow. This is the flow of the passage. From suffering persons, we go to happy or cheerful persons. And from happy and cheerful persons, we go on to sick or weak persons. That's the flow. Suffering, happy, sick slashed weak. The Greek word which is translated sick here in verse 14 is anyone among you sick. The Greek word translated sick is astheneo. Astheneo is basically a catch-all word that meant weak. And then the context in which the astheneo appears tells you what kind of weakness. Mental weakness, psychological weakness, bodily weakness, spiritual weakness. It could be any number of weaknesses. And the context tells you what asthenao is referring to in a particular verse, what weakness is in view. So the word basically means to be weak. 
And verse 14 is telling weak Christians to call their elders so that those elders will pray over them and anoint them with oil. But so far in the exposition of this passage, I haven't determined with the text's help what kind of weakness we're talking about. But we're going to in verse 15. Look. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, different Greek word, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. The Greek word here in verse 15 that is also translated sick is not astheneo. It is kamno. Kamno, it's a different Greek word. Astheneo, weak in verse 14. Kamno, sick in verse 15. This is what kamno meant. It's very specific. Kamno meant to be weary from constant work to be weary from constant work. The person's being invited to call the elders to pray over them, to anoint them with oil, were burned out believers. Weary, exhausted, frustrated, depleted, hardly able to go on. Christians are the people in view in this passage. So you may ask, how does a believer get so, they are so depleted, driven, exhausted, that they are burned out? Well, I'll tell you one way to do it. Dr. Bill Lawrence of Dallas Seminary has said this, burnout is guaranteed if you minister by your own ego for your ego. Christians who work too much to try to meet their own needs for approval and significance burn themselves out. And so we can burn ourselves out, but other people can also burn us out. Christians who work too hard to try to meet their excessive demands on, by others will have those others push them to the place of imbalance and burnout. I have a t-shirt for that that I wore and I've worn it out. Everybody has a wonderful plan for your life. The problem is it's not always God's plan they relay. Now, I understand that when you start teaching about burnout, that there are some precious born-again Christians who are not buying a word of what I'm saying. They are saying, burnout? I don't believe in that. It's impossible, pastor, to work too hard for Jesus. I realize you're listening, and you're thinking that. Precious people think that they should do as much as they can for Jesus, as long as they can for Jesus, without ever referencing the balance of their lives, their families, their health. And for the persons that look at this this way, that really think burnout isn't even a, a factor that we should consider, for those precious persons, any talk of burnout is counterproductive for them. Do you know why? Because it will cause in their minds, if I preach against burnout from the Word of God this morning, people who don't believe or want to face it say, if you preach about burnout, people will back off on serving the Lord in this church, Pastor, and will lack workers. I will let the chips fall where they may with the Holy Spirit. Most of these precious persons who don't want to face the fact of burnout have 
rather large capacities, and they really prefer their plates to be so full of things to do for God that they don't know what to do first. And then they get judgmental. They look at someone who has only a few things on their plate they're doing for God and say, don't you love the Savior? You know, you're really kind of lazy. You're not frustrated like me. Everybody's supposed to be frustrated like me. It's the older brother syndrome and the prodigal son story. I've slaved for you all these years. You never threw a barbecue for me. But you know, if you even the most devouted believer in our midst, who doesn't, who poo-poo's burnout, they go full tilt long enough, they will get imbalanced and burned out. But when you've been driven and imbalanced long enough and exhausted enough, and you look at someone else who is balanced in their walk with God, serving using their gifts, but not uh, pushed beyond reasonability, they say, get with it. Get with it. But here are the facts about burnout. The person who is not burned out is not uncommitted to Christ necessarily. Here are some facts that I would like to present to you about burnout. Number one, burnout is real, and it does debilitate. Number two, God's work doesn't fully depend on any one Christian. That's why there's a body of Christ with functioning members. Number three, Jesus was the only perfect person on earth. He was only on earth for 33 years. 30 of those years, he labored in anonymity in Nazareth, and he remained a, had a low profile. In the three years that Jesus did preach and heal, he trained only 12 men, and one of them was a fake. And there was a whole world to reach, and only 11 guys were trained to reach it. And yet Jesus went to the cross confident that the job would get done. Jesus was not driven, and Jesus is not driven today either. Not at all. Jesus was perfectly balanced. Jesus took time for rest and work. Jesus took time for prayer and social interaction. Jesus took time in solitude, and Jesus took time with crowds. Jesus was perfectly balanced. The weak and the weary Christians that James tells to call the church elders to pray over them were weak and weary. And they were weak and weary due to sin, either their own sin or other person's sin against them. In some cases, it was their own sin that caused their burnout. We know this because look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. It's possible that the committal of your own sins has burned you out. But it's also possible that you didn't sin at all and find yourself burned out. Some other sinned against you. And that's why there is an if in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, the implication, you don't have to commit sins yourselves to get burned out. People can burn you out. Got to do that. You're not doing that? Didn't see you on Wednesday night. 
Sometimes, burnout sickness is brought on by other person's unreasonable and unending expectations and even demands. I'll tell you something this morning, church family. I love you guys. It sobers me that I could ever get out of the will of God as your pastor and push any one of you to the past point of imbalance and burnout by guilt-tripping you into ministries that God hasn't called you into. Sobers me. I never want to do that. I want the Holy Spirit to move in this assembly in precious and specific ways so he recruits you, the Holy Spirit recruits you to do this or that. And that everybody's wearing one hat or two, but no one's wearing eight hats. I'm going to give you a chance to take off some hats later in this message. And so... If I am here this morning, and there will be people here this morning, I believe, that are saying, I'm exhausted, I'm frustrated, I'm doing too much, I have no joy in my walk with God, work for the church is a duty, not a delight, that's burnout. And that is either the sin that you put on yourself or a sin that somebody other, other people have put on you that you ought to be this or do that or do that. And so let's step back from this passage really quickly at this point. But before we do, I want to look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So let's get in the helicopter. Let's take a, a pull back on this passage, the whole passage, and let's get an aerial view on it. What are we seeing up high on this passage? Amid the tension, strife, stress, and persecutions of that day, James' first readers were wearying themselves and each other and wearing each other out. Burned-out believers were some of the first readers of the book of James. And James also expected that the self-burned-out would confess their sins to the Lord and be forgiven, and then they would be healed by God so that they would not be burned out anymore. And James expects that the burned-out by others will see who burned them out and James says that those that the Holy Spirit says, Rob, Mrs. McGillicuddy, you pushed her and you knew she was at the brink. You pushed her to do one more thing in the church. Rob, you pushed her into a burnout. God wants me to humble myself and go to Mrs. McGillicuddy and say, when I asked you to do thus or so, I've caused the depression and the anxiety and the frustration you have. Will you please forgive me? I'll get someone else to cover that position if you would like that. So he said, I've never heard a message like this. Those of us who've been burned out understand the need of it. Those of us who are not yet burned out but on our way understand the need of it too. Still in the helicopter, pulled back from the verses, most likely those who were burned out by others knew exactly who pushed them too hard for too long, and easily bitterness and resentment could have crept into their burned-out little hearts and minds. And so when the pushers confess sin to the pushed, then the pushed have the opportunity to confess sinful attitudes about being pushed to the persons who push them. Verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. That's what it's talking about. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And so this morning, let's, let's uh, do a self-administered assessment. This morning, right as we sit here in the sanctuary, are you a pusher or one who is pushed? Pushers push themselves and or other persons too hard. Are you a pusher? One who is pushed is often addicted to people-pleasing. Are you one who is pushed? Whether you're a pusher or one who is pushed, either way, God wants you to change. It is not God's will for you to be a pusher or one who is pushed. And change in this area that I would stop letting you push me and I would stop pushing anyone else comes down to something I call Christ-based acceptance. When you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, you were adopted into God's forever family. And if God has a wallet, your picture is in God's wallet. He loves you simply because you're his son or his daughter. He doesn't love you for what you do for him. There is nothing that you will do more than you are doing that would cause him to love you more than he already does. That's grace. There is nothing that you would stop doing that you're currently doing that would cause him to love you less than he already does because you're his child and if he has a wallet, your picture's in his wallet. That's freeing. When we, our kids were growing up, Joanna and J.D., they would draw things, paint with watercolors and magic markers and pencils. And they would present a piece of art to Beth or to me, and we'd say, wow, that's great. Love it. Wow, what's that? Oh, okay, yeah, it's good. And then uh, we'd put it on the refrigerator. <clears throat> refrigerator art. And if I called an art appraiser, hey, come on over Thursday at 2, I have some art for you to appraise. And watch the appraiser, where's the art? Right there, on the fridge. Really? Yeah, that's the art. How much is it worth? And the art appraiser would go, <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> but do you know what makes that art in the refrigerator door valuable to my wife and me? Our relationship with our children who did the art. And everything that you or I will ever do for the Lord Jesus Christ is refrigerator art to him. He loves what we do in obedience to serve him, but he mostly loves us. And because of the relationship, the refrigerator art of our good deeds has meaning in heaven. So don't you think we ought to stop comparing our refrigerator art as artists? If God has a wallet, he's got your picture in it. Not for what you can do for him, but because he loves you. That's freeing. That takes it off 
performance-based acceptance, that's the world. That's the guy you work for this week. He believes in performance-based acceptance. God is not into performance-based acceptance. God is into Christ-based acceptance. We are accepted by God because of Christ's acceptability. And what Jesus did, and we're robed in Jesus' righteousness, complete in Christ, It isn't the will of God for any of us to be imbalanced, driven, frustrated, angry about serving God. Jesus said and meant, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm here to tell you, for many years of my Christian life, I thought that was a lie. I never told anybody that, but I believed it was a lie because I felt that Jesus' yoke wasn't easy And his burden wasn't light. Do you know what the problem was? I wasn't wearing Jesus' yoke. I was wearing a yoke I put on myself. Or I was wearing a yoke that other well-meaning Christians put on me. Do this, do that. You'd be good at that. No one else will do it if you don't do it. So take, if you're here this morning, in all seriousness, if you are burned out, I invite you, give you permission, encouragement to take the yoke that you had on you that isn't Jesus' yoke and chuck it. Just chuck it. and Walk over here to the Word of God and take the yoke that is Jesus' yoke that is easy and his burden is light and you put on that yoke. Understanding your identity in Christ, that you're not working on performance-based acceptance, but on Christ-based acceptance. It'll liberate you. It'll let you say no when you need to say no. It'll confirm the yes that you said yes to when you should stay with what you're doing. Here this morning, we're considering the examples of the Old Testament prophets, Job. And the last example of the three in our passage is Elijah. Elijah, 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit What we're saying that the scriptures teach in context, using the dictionary meanings of the Greek words that are in the passage, is that James 5, 13 to 18, is primarily giving us a pattern for dealing with burnt-out Christians. And secondarily, the passage gives us a remedy for those who are physically ill. Now, I hasten to say this. In 30 years of being a pastor, Many persons have come to me and my staff to ask prayer for their illnesses. We anoint with oil, and we pray. No problem. And I'm still going to do that. I've done that since I've become your pastor several times. You want to be anointed with oil and prayed over for a physical illness? We will do that. But the thrust of this passage is not physical illness or terminal illness. It's burnout. 
based on kamno, the Greek word kamno. So, again, some will say, Pastor, sick means sick. When you're going to die, you should do what James 5, 13, and 18 says to do. I agree. It's fine. No quarrels with that. We'll do that. But let me ask you to think about this. Why did the Spirit of God pick famine on, famine off incident of Elijah's prayer life? The Holy Spirit could have also picked a time in Elijah's prayer life when a widow's son in Zarephath came back to life after being dead. He didn't pick that. But the Spirit of God didn't pick the raising of the dead as an example of a prayer of a righteous man being powerful and effective. No, the Spirit of God in this passage picked the famine on, famine off incident of Elijah's prayer life. Because God sent the famine due to the fact that Israel was living wicked. And three and a half years later, Elijah prayed and God ended the famine because Israel had humbled herself and had turned back to God in repentance. Sin caused the problem. Repentance from sin ended the problem. Prayer moved God whenever it was offered. Prayer moved God to start the famine, and prayer moved God to end the famine. So burnout, weak weariness as a result of constant work, it's a result of sin, either your own sin or other person's sin who have pushed you past Christ-based acceptance to performance-based acceptance. Prayer can bring remedy to the sick and weary who are burned out. Prayer can offer up confession of sin, and prayer can bring down forgiveness and strength and rest and renewal and healing through Christ-based acceptance as you come into understanding it. And so if you're burned out, you feel a lot like the older brother in the prodigal son story. You're slaving on the farm, and you really don't think you've been properly recognized or, or rewarded. It's a chore to serve Jesus. Maybe nobody would say that, but underneath, that's how you feel. If you're burned out, Determine who burned you out, yourself or somebody else. And if you are burned out, confess your sins to God and to any other persons that, have, that you may have sinned against, i.e. pushing someone else into burnout. And if you're burned out, forgive those who will ask for your forgiveness or who will not admit to their sinning against you and therefore will not ask for your forgiveness. Forgive them anyway. And if you know, as this sermon is being preached, the Holy Spirit's been tapping you on the heart and saying, <clears throat> excuse me, you pushed him into burnout by what you told him you wanted him to do. Confess that to God, and then you go to him and say, I'm so sorry. I should not have pushed you. Honestly, I didn't really care if you prayed about it. I just wanted you to do it. I'm sorry. There are two good things that come out of being burned out. And they're both realizations that don't come cheap. You have to be burned out before you get to understand these fully. The first thing that is good that comes out of a burnout is that you realize and believe it's not up to you to win God's acceptance. No performance-based acceptance. The second good thing that comes at great cost to the person who comes through a burnout is to understand that God offers all believers his acceptance as a grace gift. He says, I accept you, not for what you can do for me, 
but for what Jesus did for you. I accept you. Dr. Walt Kaiser was at a Bible conference that I pastored in Canada, and he talked about the barrenness fellowship or the fellowship of the barren. He cited Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Rebecca and Joseph and Rachel and Manoah, who was the uh, father of Samson. Manoah and Mrs. Manoah, she's unnamed. Elkanah and Hannah, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Dr. Kaiser talked about this fellowship of the barren. He went on to point out there's a theology that comes out of barrenness. God begins with the totally unable. God isn't resting on your smarts, your strength, your strategies, your resources. You're barren, and so am I. God delights in taking those of us who are barren, which is all of us who know Christ, we're barren in and of ourselves and our flesh, and he delights in doing incredible things through us when we recognize our barrenness and our utter and complete need of God's life and power to flow through us in every avenue of life. And so the question of the title of this sermon is Burnout or Balance? The subtitle is Performance-Based Acceptance or Christ-Based Acceptance. Burnout or Balance, it's your choice. Performance-based acceptance will burn you out. Christ-based acceptance will give you balance. Choose wisely. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, your word is so practical and clear. And we know, Lord, that it is not your will that we be haggard and driven and imbalanced and frustrated and exasperated in life. We believe Jesus when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Lord, for precious souls, coming to the conclusion that the yoke over their shoulders is not Jesus' yoke, give them the courage and the obedience to ditch that yoke, whether it's homemade or made by other people in their lives, to ditch that yoke and to take up the yoke of Jesus, who is not driven. He is not like a cowboy and cattle in Psalm 23. He doesn't drive us from behind. He is a good shepherd who leads the flock of sheep from the front with love and wisdom, patience. Oh God, may none of us leave this sanctuary today yoked to anyone but Jesus. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory and our benefit. Amen. Amen.